0: views expressed in this program are those of the participants, and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. That was not a Klingon song. It wasn't easy to translate. There doesn't seem to be a Klingon word for jolly.
1: Good morning, London. It's Thursday, April 23rd, 2009. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we'll be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just Right. Fade into And colour it to black and white, under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to the show today, 519-661-3600 is the number you can call if you want to make a comment or join in on the conversation. Believe it or not, this is the 100th hour of Just Right on CHRW. And uh, it's two years ago, plus four days, that we launched this, uh, this show here, April 19th, 2007. And 100 shows later, and almost exactly to the day, <laughs> as close as you can get, considering the show is only on a Thursday. Um, two years later, we've been on that long, so we're starting our third year, and our second hundred shows, I guess, starting next week. And so you can imagine, um, I was thinking, but what do you do for a for kind of a celebratory show? couldn't think of a, a great opener, so I played that really dysfunctional Klingon happy birthday at the beginning. I think Klingon years must be two years and four days, eh? That's how it works compared to Earth? I don't know. Anyways, what we're going to talk about today, uh, I want to talk a bit about the show and, and the, my experience with it, and c- sort of some of the rules I've uh, and principles and things that I've developed that have to do with this show and not just with the subjects that I generally talk about, although we will talk about that too. And so I guess today's theme is rules, laws, principles, and truths. I want to end the show up with a question that I get often from people, and that is, what can one person do um, to make a difference on our political scene? Ostensibly, I hope for freedom instead of of against it, but principles are principles, and they can be used either way. If If something, quote, works, it's going to work for the guy that wants to do something good with it and the guy that wants to do something nefarious with it to some degree. But basically, uh, you know, a quick uh, who, what, when, where, and why. Um, Why do I do this? Like, why am I sitting here doing this? Why am I I involved in this kind of thing? You know, I'm just an average Joe, really, who who decided he had to do something. But I wanted to make sure I was doing the right thing, not just doing anything to to do things about the things I thought bothered me in in politics and, and, and social issues around me. So I really want to, I guess I'm going upstream in in terms of where other political parties and most thinking of today is going. And I think that they're going in a very destructive direction, and I'm trying to turn that thing around. And so in order to do that, I use persuasion because that's part of the philosophy I believe in. I don't believe in forcing people uh, to, um, you know, believe what I have to say. I'll get into that in a moment. But basically... um, the what? I guess in this case we're talking about a radio broadcast, uh, this show, Just Right, that comes on every Thursday on CHRW. And what it's really all about, of course, is philosophy, if um, if that hasn't impressed you yet, if you're a regular listener. And we're on, of course, every Thursday, 11 a.m. to noon. That's the when, where. Some people ask this. We're broadcast on CHRW Radio, 94.9 FM on your dial from the campus of the University of Western Ontario, located in London, Ontario, Canada, and I know we have a lot of listeners outside uh, not only the city but sometimes outside the, c- the country and the province. Now why do I do this show even though I volunteer like around 12 hours at least, sometimes up to 20 hours of my time per week, uh, to prepare for a single broadcast? Now, First, I don't do this kind of thing to convert anyone from any particular belief to another. Uh, one thing I know, and that's a principle, The development of one's ideas and morality is a very self-actuated process and experience. And it cannot be imposed from above or from the outside or from anywhere. You are the only arbiter of your mind. You're the only person that can change it. I can't do anything to it. I can touch it, influence it. Maybe that's all we can do. And that's generally um, what you have to do if you want to influence influence things and people around you. And that's just one of the rules, laws, and or principles that I will be reviewing later on in the show. And we'll be going through a whole list of them. I don't intend to go into a detailed um, diatribe about this. It's going to be like a, a list, bang, 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 sentence by sentence sort of uh, principles that I've learned uh, that seem to work all the time. But we'll get into that a little later. First, let's... Uh, You know, how would I identify the problem that we face with? There's so many ways that it could be described. Now, I was born and grew up in the 1950s and the 1960s. And those of you born, say, after, uh, 1985 or so, and that's a little, you know, approximate, um, really have no idea how much the mood and spirit of this country have changed in a historically relative um, short period of time. It's the old uh, frog-in-the-pot syndrome, Um, This generation's future, you know, you hear it in the schools and stuff, it's just gloomy and dark, you know, as compared to the incredible hope and the general positive attitude that folks in the 50s generally experienced. Uh, But unbeknownst to me at the time, and that's in the 50s, since I was far too young to comprehend such matters, signs of trouble were already brewing. And it's interesting, I want to thank listener Andy who sent along these comments. And he says, uh, these were just, recorded comments all made in 1955, the kind of thing that you might hear at the water cooler as they say, only 53 years ago and I think it almost tells a story, Now, I'm not saying any, these are all good and bad or, or anything like that they're just painting a picture and here are some of the quotes these are just quotes that might have been made in 1955, quote I'll tell you one thing, if things keep going the way they are, it's going to be impossible to buy a week's groceries for 20 bucks quote Have you seen the new cars coming out next year? Won't be long before $2,000 will only buy a used one. Quote, if cigarettes keep going up in price, I'm going to quit. A quarter a pack is ridiculous. Quote, did you hear the post office is thinking about charging a dime just to mail a letter? Quote, if they raise the minimum wage to a dollar an hour, nobody will be able to hire outside help at the store. Quote, when I first started driving, who would have thought gas would someday cost 29 cents a gallon? Guess we'd be better off leaving the car in the garage. Quote, I'm afraid to send my kids to the movies anymore. Ever since they let Clark Gable get by with saying damn and gone with the wind, it seems every new movie either has hell or damn in it. Quote, I read the other day when some scientist thinks it's possible to put a man on the moon by the end of the century. They even have some fellows they call astronauts preparing for it down in Texas. Now, what's interesting about that quote is that it didn't take till the end of the century to actually accomplish that. But uh, that's kind of important to keep in mind. But we'll continue with a few of these quotes now. Quote, did you see where some baseball player signed a contract for $75,000 a year? Just they'll be making more than the president. Quote, I never thought I'd see the day all our kitchen appliances would be electric. They're even making electric typewriters now. (laughs) Where's an electric typewriter now? I still got one in the office, and people ask me, what's that thing? What is that thing? I don't understand. Uh, Quote, it's too bad things are so tough nowadays. I see where a few married women are having to work to make ends meet. Quote, it won't be long before young couples are going to have to hire someone to watch their kids so they can both work. Quote, I'm afraid the Volkswagen car is going to open the door to a whole lot of foreign business. Quote, thank goodness I won't live to see the day when the government takes half our income and in taxes. I sometimes wonder if we are electing the best people to office. And, quote, the drive-in restaurant is convenient in nice weather, but I seriously doubt they'll ever catch on. Quote, there's no sense to going to Lincoln or Omaha, Omaha anymore for a weekend. It costs nearly $15 a night to stay in a hotel. And, quote, no one can afford to be sick anymore. At $35 a day in a hospital, it's too rich for my blood. And finally, quote, if they think I'll pay 50 cents for a haircut, forget it, End quote. Now, of course, all these were signs of the changes to come, all of which have already passed and surpassed all those expectations. And, you know, it made me think, if you stop to think about it, the middle class in North America essentially achieved its current standard of living, really, late in the 1940s and in the 1950s. Think about that for a sec. Then, in many ways, advancement, or since then, you know, advancement has been strangely arrested in terms of any quantum leaps in the well-being of mankind and mankind's standard of living. All this in spite of a quantum leap in the number of dollars it now takes to maintain, essentially, a 1950s standard of living. Remember, this was the advent of the age of radio, of television, although movies were around for a few decades before that. Um, and, uh, yeah, sure, the Internet and communications technology from phones to video absolutely have improved astronomically and have, have contributed to our basic standard of living. But if you're comparing it on a larger scale as, say, a millennia ago, and, and even the centuries preceding, really, the eighteen, you're talking about a much lower standard of living. And um, we kind of reached our current state in the mid-1900s and haven't really advanced in a meaningful way for the vast majority of people. The jets we fly today are essentially the same technology as that in the 50s. Our cars today serve essentially the same function for us today as they did in the, in the 50s. Sure, they're, they're plusher and modern, have safety things on them they didn't then, but essentially the style of living is not that dramatically different. We're not in horses anymore. We're not out in the farm doing all that agriculture you know, if you watch any movie from the era, from that era, or even maybe the 40s, you know, i watch all these old movies, and homes were essentially the same c- construct as they are today. In fact, I know a lot of you live in those very homes. And, you know, you're talking about an age, I guess, where we started having central heating, plumbing, running water, electricity, and telephone. But... None of us are really living like the Jetsons, which was, which was a, you know, it was a major expectation. Really, uh, dr- in, in the mood of the public of the 1950s, we thought we would be flying around in flying cars by now. 1969, that was when 2001: A Space Odyssey by Arthur C. Clarke was released in the theaters. It predicted we'd have settlements on the moon, vast floating space stations, you know, through which the public would already have access. And this was one of the more realistic projections and expectations of its time. I mean, the very year, 2001, was like a futuristic sci-fi concept in the 1960s uh, when 2001 was made, and now it's way behind us. And funnily enough, I watched the movie a couple weeks ago. It still felt science fiction and futuristic, and uh, I guess we missed it. So today's generation has been and is being raised with the specter of bad times and lots of suffering in store for the future, uh, like from the crisis in the economy to the propaganda of green, the future, from a philosophical and political viewpoint, which really drives all the rest, is not looking, you know, too bright. But, hey, I guess all you need is love, as the Beatles told us. Uh going to take a break now. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this show, some of the other um, principles that I want to get to, and uh, we'll just have a reality check on the other side of this break for a smile. I'm back right after this.
0: It's a very complicated situation, Cousin Sonia. I'm in love with Alexei. He loves Alicia. Alicia is having an affair with Lev. Lev loves Tatiana. Tatiana loves Simkin. Simkin loves me. I love Simkin, but in a different way than Alexey. Alexey loves Tatiana like a sister. Tatiana's sister loves Trigorin like a brother. Trigorin's brother is having an affair with my sister. Only likes physically, but not spiritually. Natasha is getting a little late. The firm of Mishkin and Mishkin is sleeping with the firm of Troskov and Toskov. Natasha, to love is to suffer. To avoid suffering one must not love. But then one suffers from not loving. Therefore, to love is to suffer, not to love is to suffer. To suffer is to suffer. To be happy is to love. To be happy, then, is to suffer, but suffering makes one unhappy. Therefore, to be unhappy, one must love or love to suffer or suffer from too much happiness. I hope you're getting this down.
2: The reason I'm, uh, I'm having problems and I finally realized what it boiled down to is, is uh, I, I listen to George Bush every day and I realize that one of us is nuts <laughs> and it's not me here's how you know he's crazy George Bush is quoted as saying that Uh, As far as evolution goes, the jury's still out. Where is that jury? Tennessee? Unbelievable to me. I've had to argue evolution my entire life. I think it's fabulous that people have the faith to believe that it all took place in seven days. But you know what? The way I look at it, evolution is a very important thread in the larger tapestry that I like to call reality! Fossils! Fossils! Fossils, you idiots! Fossils! Fossils! I win!
1: And that's about it. Reality check. You win. Bob Metz here, CHRW, just right. And you're listening to the 100th hour of the show that was launched two years ago this month. Now, you know, I'm here just because, well, I just said yes. When, back in April 2007, I was asked by CHRW if I wanted to continue doing a weekly talk show on my own after the last broadcast of Left, Right and Centre with Jim Chapman and Jeff Schlemmer, which ended in April 2007. And so, before I forget to do so let me take this opportunity to say thank you not only to those of you who apparently have found this show to be fun to listen to but to the chrw radio the staff operators and university students council who apparently pays for my opportunity to use their facilities uh, to speak to you on a weekly basis you know i've been told by a few observers especially on the right that my position here in the midst of a quote leftist university environment (laughs) end quote is a rarity in north america Though I haven't really uh, gone to any particular effort to verify that point or not, I don't know if that's true or not. But I had no clear vision, just a really blurry one, of what kind of show I would end up doing. And in keeping with that somewhat uh, pragmatic saying, there's that bad word, action removes the doubt that theory cannot solve. Although, of course, this wasn't about an issue of theory per se. But here's eventually what evolved into Just Right. So for the past two years, you know, it's been quite a learning experience uh, for me. From developing uh, the content, using news sources, books, history, entertainment, I went to a wider list of things, because I want to create a little bit of a different show. Uh, Establishing a signature that would identify this show. I learned a little bit about marketing, that you have to identify yourself. You know, picking the show's title just right, it just seemed to slip in from where we were before. Um, the intro song, which, by the way, if you don't know, it's from a Bee Gees tune with just made to order lyrics about black and white, frankness, and right, which is, are the main themes of this song, or of this show. Um, also, choosing the video clips that would be part of the show's signature, and adopting certain rules and objectives that I adhere to when I do any of the above. I have a lot of little rules that I, that I adhere to. And it's interesting when you stick to them and you, and you, and you do things in, in a methodical way, stuff starts to happen almost by itself. It's really a strange um, phenomenon. I stole one of my first rules from Jim Chapman, namely, and it's a good one, I think, only to talk about the things that I know about <laughs> that could help, you know, and that interest me. Since my interest in philosophy really touches on a a ton of stuff, that opens a wide range of subjects. And if you go through uh, the website, www.justwritemedia.org, you'll see all of our first 99 shows there right now, the hundreds to be there shortly. And you'll see a a range of subjects that even surprises me. And most of you who listen regularly probably noticed that I use um, television and movie excerpts on the show, not music excerpts, unless they're, of course, included in the video. And I, I take great care never to use the same excerpt twice, although I may use the same source for an excerpt twice. And um, there are a lot of reasons I do that, partially because the show is archived and you don't want a lot of repeating there, um, partially to respect um, the material of the original author. We, do, we talk about fair use. We talked about those kinds of things on the show before. And so uh, I try to be careful with that stuff. And I only use the clips in context of the discussions that we talk about because of course that's one of the things um... in terms of art and in, and in television and i've done complete shows on that how it reflects basically society's values and, and is one of the key ways that philosophies and ideas become uh... enmeshed in it right into society we will we'll hear a bit more about that a little bit later in the show now having an archive of the show was critical to me at least for people who would be interested enough in a particular issue to check out a broadcast where I might have gone into a lot of detail on a subject, and although I often focus on local or specific news items or instances, uh, I frame current events within the sphere of philosophy in which they occur, which is the, you know, the quality I think that gives this sh- a show like this, uh, what a friend of mine called uh, residual value. It's something you can listen to more than once, even though it might al- not always be about current events. Now. The other thing about doing a radio show, I didn't know when I started doing this show whether I'd be flying solo 100% of the time or whether I'd be having guests on the show or where I'd be getting them from. And, uh, you know, the worst part is I had, like, zero experience in interviewing guests, so I made some rules. <laughs> and my main rule with guests, I guess two of them, it, the first one is disagreement does not equal disrespect. Disrespect. And the other side of that coin is agreement does not give a guest a free ride in the sense of, hey, come on, or push your thing, I'm not going to even challenge you a bit, because I try to. When political or ideological guests appear on this show, which in this show, let's face it, already has a built-in bias, um, I'll only push so far and generally not approach guests in the same way that I might talk directly to you, the listener, like when we're just alone together, you know what I mean? And... Nor when I have a guest with whom I might mostly agree, will I not ask certain challenging questions and and, and address their premises and want to hear how they think. Uh, on the other hand, there's a different type of guest too. When I get, when I have a guest who possesses um, what do I call expertise and knowledge on a subject that I say only have a layman's understanding of, and that especially applies to uh, science and tech guests, which I'm going to have some more. On. I'm going to have some some fun with them, but. When I have someone like that, I want to be educated and informed. And I think those things have a lot to do with how you look at life and politics as well. You've got to understand the technology that, that humanity can create. And hopefully, um, you know, when these guests come on, I can have a few of my own misconceptions about some of my scientific concepts <laughs> destroyed right in front of everyone. Um, and I plan to do that in the very near future. I, I think I may have a guest that just might help us out in that regard. And so I have a feeling one of those shows is not too far off on the horizon. By the way, with this, our uh, 100th broadcast of Just Right, um, I'm actually surprised to report just how many of them already have featured guests. You know, if you'd asked me off the top of my head last week, like, how many, what percentage of your shows do you have guests? I I literally would have said, oh, 5%, 10%. So I wanted to find out. Here's the stats, and you know, this being the 100th show, it makes working out the percentages kind of simple. <laughs> X out of 100. And out of the first 100 broadcasts, which includes this one, guests appeared on 22 of the broadcasts, which magically translates into... Uh, anyone? Anyone? Right! 22% of the shows have guests, and six of those shows featured two or three guests simultaneously. And uh, right now, my guess is the ratio is likely to rise in the current foreseeable future, because I'm already aware of a few guests who be appearing very shortly, and I'm pleased to say that they're usually guests who the other media, as a rule, do not interview, and you don't usually hear from them. And sadly to say, though, it's usually because, well, they're on the right. And, um, you know, the guests on this show, of course, it's not an even distribution of appearances. I noted uh, over the past two years there were stretches of solo shows and then clusters of shows that featured guests or just an odd one. So uh, that might help account for my own misjudgment on how many there are. But if you want to uh, see it here or hear any of these uh, shows with the guests we've had, don't have time to review them right now. But, again, it's org. Now, if you haven't guessed yet, of course... Uh, This show is really all about philosophy, and hopefully a working philosophy that actually relates to reality. And, you know, I went into this kind of cold. I didn't know whether I was left or right when I started getting involved in politics, and I I talked about that when I first started this show. But I have discovered over time that in philosophical and political terms, the philosophy of reality and what is actually the right sits on the right, the true right, uh, not the so-called right wing, which is predominantly left in the roots of its current philosophy. And that's why I always say, you know, um, not right wing, just right. And uh, in part, that's one of the cases I'm trying to make uh, by doing this show. I'd originally considered um, doing a third review of what left and right really are in philosophical and political terms but after getting started on that project because I've you know I've got a lot to add uh, since my previous two reviews of this on the show and I think it'll be worth a whole show when I'm finally satisfied with uh, putting it all together so I will reserve that uh, project for a future broadcast but for today however I've compiled a, um, I can't call it a complete or exhaustive, it's certainly not that, but it's the start of a list of rules, laws, truths, and principles that I've discovered over the years generally work every time when I see them applied. So I thought... uh, just to pass them on to you for your own consideration. You know, if you knew some of this stuff, you can disagree with it, but it might save you years and years of confusion confusion or making uh, some kind of tragic error in some choice or alternative you might be facing. You know, you never know. Now, the list I've prepared is just a summary list. I'm not going to spend more than a few sentences on any one given rule or principle, um, perhaps with one or two exceptions, and I'll, you know, I think they'll be obvious <laughs> when I get to them. And we'll be getting to that after the upcoming break. But first... Here's an insight into our subject matter that relates to a very current issue in the news. And, you know, you hear about uh, Obama doing something about the Americans torturing, quote, quote their prisoners of war, and the supposed end to that practice that's going, that, that has been proposed by Obama. Well, it's certainly not a new issue, and it's amazing how philosophy is always there. One of the reasons I like Star Trek, Star Trek is not science fiction, it is philosophy and it is ethics. And if you need any proof of that, in the following clip from Deep Space Nine, okay, this is, um, for those Trekkies, it's episode 618, if you want to know. But Dr. Bashir has learned that he has unknowingly undergone a psychological and moral test of his virtue, of his character and his loyalties, apparently by a secret 200-year-old government agency dedicated to protecting the fundamental values upon which the Federation is constituted. But which uses somewhat untoward uh, means to attain its ends. Dr. Bashir, of course, passes the test with flying colors. And what happens next is one of the more challenging and compelling debates with which mankind wrestles eternally. How would you decide what's right and wrong in the following debate? And I'll be back on the other side of these ads and these messages and we'll be back in a few minutes.
0: So if I had been a Dominion agent, what would have happened to me? We wouldn't be standing here having this conversation. Starfleet sanctions what you're doing? We don't submit reports or ask uh, approval for specific operations, if that's what you mean. We are an autonomous department. Authorized by whom? Section 31 was part of the original Starfleet Charter. But that was 200 years ago. Are you telling me you've been working on your own ever since? Without specific orders? accountable to nobody but yourselves You make it sound so ominous isn't it because if what you say to me is true you function as judge jury and executioner and i think that's too much power for anyone i admit it takes exceptional people to do what we do people who can sublimate their ambitions to the best interests of the federation people like you me You have all the qualifications to be a very useful member of Section 31. A few minutes ago you were calling me a traitor, and now you want to recruit me! Well, you're intelligent, resourceful, you've always been fascinated by covert operations. Why else would you spend so much time in Quark's hollow suites playing spy? You're serious? We're on the same team. We believe in the same principles that every other Federation citizen holds dear and yet you violate those principles as a matter of course. In order to protect them. Oh, I'm sorry. But the ends don't always justify the means. Really? How many lives do you suppose you've saved in your medical career? What has that got to do with anything? Hundreds? Thousands? Do you suppose those people give a damn that you lied to get into Starfleet Medical? I doubt it. We deal with threats to the Federation that jeopardize its very survival. If you knew how many lives we've saved, I think you'd agree that the ends do justify the means. I'm not afraid of bending the rules every once in a while if the situation warrants it. And I don't think you are either. You've got the wrong man, Sloan. I don't think so. In time, you'll come to agree with me. Don't hold your breath. Conduits 12 and 22 are still down for testing. We can reroute through junction 14B. You have a funny way of looking at conduit configuration, but it works. That's law 36. you got to go with what works.
2: What are all these laws that I keep hearing about?
0: They're my personal laws. Every time I learn something essential, I make up a law about it so I never forget. How many do you have? hundred and two. So far. Looks like the Starbird Array needs another subprocessor. It'll be online in a few minutes. I'm way ahead of you. They said you were good. Why do I get the feeling that you already know me? I have a few friends at the academy. Your names come up a couple of times. It's really some sort you pulled on Adam Martoni in the physics lab. I just want to know how you got the antimatter regulator to spray chili sauce.
1: There is another side to that story.
0: Is it true what they say about your birthmark? This isn't fair. I hardly know anything about you. Hey. That's law 46. Life isn't always fair. Yeah, I know <laughs> that law.
1: I think we all know that law. Well, I can't say I've got 102 laws accumulated yet, but I've got some here, and we'll see how many we can get through before the next break. Um, in that Deep Space Nine clip before the break, there, you know, it was an interesting discussion, and you had this argument between principles and and um, and the rules and things like that, and. There's a a, a lot of confusion between principles and rules. I think um, occasionally, and I'm going to say this, it's occasionally okay to bend a rule, but a principle cannot be changed. You know, you hear that statement um, that's always attributed to dishonest politicians or something. These are my principles. If you don't like them, I have others, you know. And then, of course, they just tell anybody what they want to hear. So I did a, a dictionary check, and unfortunately, this is bad news. The words rules... Laws, principles, and truths are often used very interchangeably and not necessarily always incorrectly, which uh, doesn't make things all that much easier to figure out. Like, you know, the law of gravity is really a principle that we don't quite fully understand. So we postulate a man-made law to express our theory of the principle. Because really, we don't understand the principle of gravity yet. We're coming close to understanding it. So we create what we call laws, um, theories, um, our understanding, our best understanding, based on knowledge we have that we can put together on that. So to me, laws and rules are man made things. Theories are, are, I'm sorry, principles are not. Principles are the thing we discover about reality that cannot change no matter how much me, we might want it want to do so. And, you know, they say that uh, the exception proves the rule, but that's a little confusing. It, it's really another way of saying that an exception or a contradiction tests a rule. But rules and laws are secondary to principles. And for my purposes today, rules and laws are man-made. Principles, relate, um, even when they relate to human behavior, are more or less eternal truths. And, you know, in that clip on Deep Space Nine, I remember watching the whole show in context. And um, the difficult part was, you as the viewer understood that both of the parties in that debate were good guys. There wasn't a bad guy versus a good guy. Um, there was one good guy doing things that the other good guy thought weren't good things to accomplish a good guy's end, you know what I mean? And, and what the other guy was doing was bending the rules, but he didn't bend the principles. He stuck to the principles on which the Federation was based and apparently they did it for 200 years. Now how that's possible, I don't know, but and it's not something you can get into. But, so, uh, you know, an exception may not fit exactly in the con- into, the, into the conditions of a particular rule, but that will not necessarily dest- destroy a rule as a generality. However, any exception, any contradiction will totally destroy a principle, since principles represent our understanding of the fundamental forces of nature, including Human nature. So here's a quick list. See how many of them I can get through. And one of the first principles I discovered, that I didn't know most of these things, by the way, till I was probably in my mid-20s, early 30s. And uh, here they are sort of summarized. Principle. Philosophy, not politics, feelings, random events, or anything else, is the driving force behind human history. Every thought and feeling you have about life and your role on this earth is determined by what you think and how you think it. Metaphysics, epistemology. And the process that you go through results in determining what your values are. Principle. Reality is the arbiter of all legitimate philosophy, science, art, music, politics. Believe it or not, that's the arbiter. That's what determines whether it's good, bad, indifferent, whether people will react to it or not. Principle. Reason is the only means by which we are able to apprehend, that means understand, not perceive, apprehend, or understand reality. Principle. This one you can argue about for years. Everyone is selfish. Many are greedy, especially those who claim to be altruists. I've spent many hours on this show explaining that. I won't go into that in detail, but it's a principle I've learned. Principle. Altruism is not charity or kindness. It is self-sacrifice and loss when practiced by an individual. It is forced sacrifice and loss, otherwise known as oppression, when practiced by governments. Principle: Pragmatism is not practicality. Pragmatism is an anti-intellectual, anti-philosophic belief system that has a specific meaning and a specific originator of that philosophy. Did a whole show on pragmatism. Check it out. Principle. Governing, I-N-G, originates in the moral faculty. Government, M-E-N-T, is a quote-unquote gun, and all government action is the application of force against an individual or group. It is morality which determines whether that use of force is just or unjust. Principle. Force in the political context is always physical force, even though it doesn't always appear to be so. And if you have to have any proof of that, just remember, government legislation is not just a suggestion. <laughs> okay? you got to do it. you got to obey the law. If thick at you. Principle. Reason and force are incompatible and cannot coexist. That's why capitalism and socialism cannot coexist. Capitalism is based on reason. Socialism is based on force. And the two cannot coexist. Principle Freedom comes with responsibility. One cannot be separated from the other. There's no such thing as freedom without responsibility, nor is there responsibility without freedom. It is these latter and false types of freedom and responsibility that all of Canada's political parties, with one exception, are pushing on us. Some get stuck with all the responsibility, while others get all the freedom. And that's not the way it's supposed to work. Principle. Only individuals are capable of exercising either freedom or responsibility. There is no such thing as collective responsibility, and that's why you can never pin down a politician on anything. His defense against irrational policies and activities will always be that the decision wasn't his alone, and that it was democratic, and that we did it as a group. Mm -hmm. Principle. Capitalism is the only socioeconomic system compatible with freedom. All other isms eventually destroy freedom. The only variable is the length of time it takes. Principle. Capitalism is the only moral system being one that by definition is based on voluntary consent in all human relationships, personal, public, economic, and political. All other isms introduce coercion and force into human relationships, outside of the legitimate function of administering justice, but for non-justice purposes, generally relating relating to unjust redistributions, quote-unquote, of wealth from those who earned it to those who did not, for virtually any justification imaginable. Principle. Capitalism is the natural consequence of human arrangements when reason is applied in a free environment. It results in a society based on consent. Principle. There is no such entity as the public interest because there's no such entity as the public. Interests abound and all are private since only individuals are capable of having interests. Principle. And this I call a principle slash rule because maybe there is an exception to this and maybe Britain might have fallen into that. But generally, the history of humanity is not a history of the fight for freedom but rather a history of the eternal battle against freedom by those who wish to control others, in a false belief that that's the path to power. The vast majority of freedoms that were won and lost over time were always the result of a fight against oppression. And more often than not, though with a few critical exceptions, um, resulted in another form of oppression, and, you know, I came to this conclusion just recently, and it's hit me like a ton of bricks, that the conscious and the purposeful effort to defend and protect individual freedom is a phenomenon completely new to the world. It's only emerged gradually over the past two or three decades. And it is this movement of which I am endeavoring to be a part of and which this, this radio broadcast, Just Right, is really what it's all about. Principle. Only virtuous people are capable of leading a conscious effort towards true freedom. Now, this is important. This is one of those footnote definitions. Virtue is not necessarily the same as goodness or morality. In this, we must be and you know, be very precise about our definition, and here is a distinction that I found of all places. I thought this might be mine, Rand, but this is actually in a footnote to the definition of virtue in Funk and Wagnall's dictionary. I couldn't believe it. You don't see this kind of thing in a dictionary. And listen to the style in which it's written. And this is under um, the definition of virtue, and here's the footnote in the dictionary. Quote, We regard virtue as acquired through self-discipline and predicated of human beings only. Morality involves conformity to an accepted code of right conduct. It is less elevated, but more concrete than virtue. Rectitude also implies conformity to a moral code, but stresses intention or disposition. Hence, a man's morality may arise from a fear of punishment or of censure but his rectitude can come only from a love of the right and a conscious desire to follow it, end quote. And that's just so true. I found the people who are the long-termers on the fight for freedom are the people who do it because they know it's the right thing to do. They're not afraid of anybody. Often they have to, to break the law to do the right thing. So, you know, the people who are afraid fear of punishment, that's your general conservative, and the people who are afraid of censure, that's your general liberal. And that's, <laughs> there, they, there you go. And uh, another, this is a rule, not a principle, but every public dollar was once a private dollar. And here's another rule, not a principle, but a rule. Um, I guess you could say as a rule, because there are exceptions occasionally. But all newspapers are political entities. And the primary motivation behind newspaper publishing is to influence public opinion. That's what—that's why they exist. And if you think you're going to get a fair shake, if you think something different than the paper, uh, don't expect that paper to give you a fair shake. Now, um, I guess the last—I got some more here, but I don't have time to get to them all. Maybe I'll get to a few after. But this is one. This is a myth, not a principle or a uh, rule, but a myth and um, it's perpetuated by many people. I have to admit, I did it for a while myself. And I've learned that the road back to freedom, people say the road back to freedom will take at least as long, if not longer, than the road towards socialism on which we've traveled thus far. Well, that's not true. In fact, Germany and Japan proved that case hands down after both nations were defeated, in in a way unheralded in human history, including destruction by two atomic bombs. How much worse can things get? Uh, So, you know, layoffs at GM and Chrysler just don't cut it in terms of justifying our road to socialism and serfdom much longer. What does take time, though, is not the cure, but the decision to act upon principles that to most people are, as in physics, counterintuitive to common sense and to maybe the senses themselves. Because from a perceptual viewpoint, the very visible hand of government appears to be able to perform feats that the invisible hand of of peaceful private self-interest cannot. And I think that's the illusion that continually prevents us from sticking to principles that we otherwise know to be true. Now, these next clips are coming from... I'm um, take a break here now. These these next two clips are, are, are just amazing. I, I, this is one of the shows I recommended a few weeks ago on the show, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which wrapped up its second season a couple of weeks ago. I sat down over the past week and watched the whole thing, and it was better than anything I ever expected. And um, the show was about intelligence, uh, philosophy, morality, and what might happen if machines become sentient. Well, listen to that, and on the other side of this, we'll continue with more on what you can do for freedom.
0: I'm thinking of an herb. Targon? No. We're wasting time. But it's working his game.
2: But what is wrong with you? Why are you not angry? Why should I be? We have a way to get her back. Tell me where the child is. Okay. you asked me to teach him ethics, morals and rules. What good is it if he's not going to follow him?
0: He will if we let him learn the rules on his own. Savannah. How are you today? I'm well. Would you like to play a game? Engaging in imaginative play helps my development. This is Mount Valney, hiding place of the Mask of Life. The Toa protect the mask from the dark hunters. These are the ducklings. Chicky, Fluffy, and feathers. Can they play too? I don't think there are any ducklings. On the mystical island of Voyanui. Are you sir? I'm sorry. I've accessed all the files. I can find no references to them in any of the instructions. What's wrong? Would you like one of the Toa instead? No. The ducklings are sad because they can't play. Can't you change the rules to make them happy? Yes. We can change the rules
2: What... What is Don Henry stop Oh
0: Let's this Oh no do Henry please you're hurting me Ow do Henry I stop! understand Let's what go,
1: this please! Is Stop it about Well, I'll tell you, when I saw that scene, as soon as that little girl said, can't you change the rules to make them happy? I just saw politics written all over that, because that's what politicians do. They change the rules to make voters happy so they'll vote for them. And before you know it, the voters are screaming for their life, because half their money's taken away in taxes, and society's heading down the tubes. The more they try to help us. So what can you do? What can one person do? You know, Ayn Rand took a stab at this question back in January '72. And you know she said, you know, the questions frequently asked by people who are concerned about the state of today's world and want to correct it, and they always ask, What can one person do? And she says, that's the wrong question to ask. One person can't do anything. One person can't change a country single handed. So she asks, why do people ask the question that way? Suppose you're a doctor in the midst of an epidemic. You do, you wouldn't ask, she says, how would one doctor treat millions of patients and restore the whole country to perfect health? You would know whether you were alone or part of an organized medical campaign that you've got to treat as many people as you can according to the best of your ability and that nothing else is really possible. So if you're seriously interested in fighting for a better world, says Rand, begin by identifying the nature of the problem because the battle is primarily intellectual and philosophical, not political. Politics is the last consequence, and I've I've learned this to be absolutely true. And, uh, you know, it's a practical impl- implementation of, of what um, politics is all about. Now, this is important. Here's what I thought Rand said that was very important to me and it's influenced me a lot. She says... In an intellectual battle, you do not need to convert everyone, because history is made by minorities. Or more precisely, history is made by intellectual movements, which are created by minorities. Who belongs to these minorities? Anyone. Anyone who's able and willing to actively concern himself with intellectual issues. Here it is not quantity, but quality that counts. And consistency, that's really what a lot of quality is about. So an intellectual movement doesn't start with organized action, she says. You've got to first have a battle for people's minds, and that has to be preceded by an educational campaign. And Rand, of course, recommends you seize upon every opportunity to express yourself once you feel somewhat ready to do so. Don't go out of your way to be a preacher, but don't pass up on opportunities that are basically invitations to express yourself. And, 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 you know, you don't wait for a national audience. You talk to your friends, your associates, you write letters to your editor, that kind of thing. Call in TV, radio shows. But most particularly, she says, don't keep silent when your own ideas and your own values are being attacked, and she reminds us, you know, there is no, um, you know, no shortcuts possible at all. And um, so, you know, my quick rules for freedom were, you know, you've always got to judge, number one, and be prepared to be judged. That's the deal. That's why you can always call 519-661-3600 to pass your judgment on anything you may hear on this show. The second thing is you must always be able to identify a name, a is A, and empty labels and slogans don't cut it. You know, communist ideas are communist. If, if you call somebody a communist, make sure you know what that word means. Fascist ideas are fascist. These words have clear definitions, and these systems of governments have clear, consistent, and, de- and demonstrable consequences in their very real things. And the third one I would say is, you know, learn about the principles underlying freedom and capitalism. Uh, read Ayn Rand. If you disagree with what you've read, as I did when I first read Rand, challenge it. Prove her wrong. I tried it a few times. Be prepared for discomfort and to reconsider some of your assumptions. Or on the other hand, read Karl Marx. Count the contradictions. Try and prove them right. And here's another thing, number four. Don't expect to hear from anyone, for or against. It's truly rare. Uh, Most individuals are not in a position to ever be able to measure the impact of their publicly expressed opinions. But never underestimate the power of, of your argument. People hear you. And to make that point, you know, after about 25 years of, uh, you know, just as an individual following most of these suggestions and getting my nose into everything I can, it's amazing some of the things I hear feeding back now, lately. Uh, I remember over on another radio station, Andy Utman, just not too long ago after interviewing both the mayors of Windsor and London on the issue of auto bailouts, which both supported at the time, I hear him on the radio saying, boy, I'll bet Bob Metz didn't want to hear that. (laughs) You know, and uh, on another show, I remember on the radio, uh, people were calling, calling in to tell um, the, the radio host who they hated the most. And my name came up, and I thought that was kind of cool, too. And, uh, of course, I'm a founder of a political party, Freedom Party, both the nonpartisan and the partisan Freedom Party. I've been publishing stuff, um, and I do all sorts of stuff like that. But, um, you know, I have a bit of startling evidence of the influence you can have. And um, the specific stat I'm going to select is because you can verify it yourself if you want. And this has to do with the number of viewings that Freedom Party organizations and Freedom Party leader Paul McKeever get on YouTube compared to the YouTube stats of the major parties. YouTube's become the place to be. And these stats are only a few days out of date, so they should be somewhat higher now. But listen to this. As of April eleventh, two 2009, at 3.12 a.m., and thanks to Tim for putting these together for me, and I won't ask you what you're doing up at 3.12 a.m., but these are the total viewings of their respective videos registered by YouTube on some of the political parties in Ontario. New Democrats, 1,861 total views, 18 subscribers. Liberals, 2,494 views, 3 subscribers. Ontario PC, 6,506 views, 5 subscribers. And my researcher Tim notes that Tim Hudak's channel, Hudak MPP, went up about 500% after Tory stepped down, and bringing him to 3,167 total views with 12 d- subscribers. Now, here's Freedom Party's YouTube stats. U- YouTube stats. You ready for this? Total viewings, 444,846. Subscribers, 991. We get that the highest is 1% of ours, and as far as I'm concerned, that's just right. And we're going to keep doing what we do, and you can do too. By the way, in two hours on CTS television, 2 p.m. on Rogers Cable, you can see FP leader uh, Paul McKeever on a live call and show. Hey, call him up and tell him I said hi. That'll leave him with a philosophic dilemma. But right now, I've got to say bye-bye. So let's go, and we'll be out of here. So join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then be right stay right do right act right think right turn right drive like right, fright like right, move right and hey be right here next week <laughs> Fade into color color into black and white under the bad clothes everything will be <laughs> I was a bad kid wasn't an evil kid I just put a lot of pranks
2: that happened to be felonies <laughs>